0: Okay, okay, I have a response to that. But first I just wanna say, it's also a little bit uh, like stretching the credibility to believe that he majored in classics at Yale in 1925, but learned to be gay in Montana from a rancher. (laughs)
1: 100,000, million, bazillion percent. Hi, I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. In this episode, we are joined
0: by very special guest, Guy Branham. Legendary guest, Guy Branham.
2: Good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: And he's going to help us ruin all your favorite gay Oscar movies. Guy, thank you for being with us once again. We love having you as a guest. It's
1: good to see you guys. And our patrons love it too. We have patrons who came to us through your recommendations. So oh, then, very, when you come back around, yeah, that's very sweet. Yeah, tell really more people. Tell more
0: people about us. I Guy.
2: will. I will yeah. keep talking yeah. about it.
0: <laughs> but right now, well, we're going to talk about this topic that Guy suggested, which is gayness in Oscar Beatty movies. Do I have that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But before we get to that, we're all going to check in. I want to know how everyone's doing. Let's start with you, Guy. How are you doing and what are you drinking?
2: Um, I am drinking. I figured we were going to spend an evening talking about Queen's. I should drink the Queen's preferred cocktail. Um, So I'm having a Dubonnet cocktail. Um, Never forget that Queen Elizabeth II and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, never uh, traveled anywhere without two bottles of Dubonnet and one bottle of gin. Um and uh I'm doing well. I'm in that rare situation where I've sent out a bunch of things and everyone owes me notes and there <laughs> I don't owe anybody much of anything and it just feels so clean and exciting and I'm uh, I I've been reading I love that. the memoir of one of the two fat ladies and I'm like I could just go read a little bit more and it's very exciting.
0: I feel like you've been reading that – that you were reading that memoir before.
2: No, I got a – Is this
0: the other fat lady I that gotta, wrote a memoir or something? When
2: you were here, one of <gasps> the memoirs of the two fat ladies showed up. This is the memoir of the other two fat lady.
0: So it actually is. Okay, yeah. yes. <laughs> Wonderful. And how's your Dubonnet that. cocktail? Did it turn out well?
2: I mean, I threw it together because I forgot that this was the sauce and I forgot that um, – Uh, I needed a cocktail. So, I mean, it lacks the subtlety that um, some of my other Dubonnet cocktails have, but it's also just, I mean, it's a hit parade. It's whiny lemonade.
0: Maya, how about you? How are you doing and what are you drinking?
1: I am drinking hard kombucha today, a sparkling saison ale with black currants I know it's really obnoxious, but um... I,
0: weirdly, I am a huge fan of hard kombucha. Oh, that's very which surprising. Is, I am, yeah. I am powerfully against regular kombucha. <laughs> I, I am offended by it, but um, I just—I've had hard kombuchas that are wonderful. They can be really low calorie and really high alcohol content, which is like the magic ratio. Ding, if you ding, can ding, get ding. it, yeah. yeah.
1: So that's what I'm enjoying right now. And I'm okay. I'm back home and dealing with a lot of kids stuff. Uh, But everybody's pretty good. And actually, one of my uh, short films just got into a film festival. That's awesome. So that's very nice. It's yeah, it's a film festival that I thought, you know, it's called the Athens International Film Festival. I didn't realize they meant Athens, Ohio, but it's been, but it's been around for like 50 years and is one of the like Oscar qualifying festivals. Like it's been around.
0: That's great. Congratulations on that.
1: So Rebecca, how are you doing? What are you drinking?
0: <laughs> um, you sounded so serious about that. It's, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, I'm doing great. I'm drinking an orange blossom, which is one of those old-timey cocktails from like a 1935 bartender's guide that's just um, gin, orange juice, and sweet vermouth in equal parts. Mm. And I put it in a nice Nick and Nora. Uh, the reason being that Matt bought a bunch of miniolas or some such small type orange from the store and found that this batch was a little on the tart side for his taste and so he was like, make some fresh orange juice and use that in your cocktail. So I did his bidding in this case.
1: And is it good?
0: It's great. I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's whatever. It's like slightly boozy orange juice. Um, and yeah, I'm doing great. Did go out for cocktails last night in Manhattan. Uh, and that was really fun. I feel like I've done that maybe twice in the past two and a half years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. And they didn't check for uh, your vaccination card. You weren't required to wear masks. It was really odd. It was kind of unsettling. Mm -hmm. But the cocktails were good. And as Guy knows, because I texted him, I ordered one that contained Nocino as an ingredient.
2: Really? I famously make my own Nocino, which I think is amazing, but I can never determine whether other people appreciate it. Some people, Gabe Liebman, television writer and comedian, Gabe Liebman, has been very effusive about my Nocino, <laughs> But I feel like other people are like, "What is this?"
1: I recall well, we it. tried making yes. our own. We we tried to make our own Nocino, and it didn't ever extract properly because our we get the green walnuts from our farmers market, mm-hmm. and when they give us the Nocino that they make, oh man, that is. That is the real deal, and we didn't we didn't achieve the nocino the way that they did. I really
2: need to see at what time of year you're getting um, your walnuts, because in Italy you're supposed to do it on June 23rd, but in California it is solidly a month earlier. Um, that you need to get the walnuts so that they're like formed, but they have not started making the shells inside.
1: All right. We're going to have to meet up at the Larchmont Farmer's Market on a Sunday morning, and I will take you to Underwood Farms, and we will, I'm, we will discuss. I'm truly down for this. All right. I feel like we have so much to talk about that we can't kind of fart around. We have to, like, get into it, because this okay. is, like, a, a decade, many decade-long thing that we're about to, like, extract Launch and break into. apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So let's get into it.
1: Okay, first, I would like Guy to tell us why he wanted to bring this topic up. Like, what inspired this?
2: Um, My friend, Sarah Thayer, like, said, have you seen Power of the Dog? And I was like, no, should we go? And she would already seen it, but she was like, yes. And we went to a theater in Pasadena, and we watched it in a theater. And I had such strong reactions to the film, and they were so conflicted. And I just wanted to hear the thoughts of everyone I knew about this, because it was such an interesting situation of queer people I really knew and respected were like, what a fascinating film about the condition of the closet. They thought it was amazing. And it just got me thinking about the way that, you know, it's an an ongoing thing of... Queer people are almost never cast to play queer people in movies, but for so many decades it has been one of those rich territories, along with the Holocaust, along with physical or mental disability, disability mm-hmm. um, that people aw- slavery also yeah, slavery uh, and prostitution wells that people went to for like dramatic splashy roles. Um, That had almost become a cliche. And one of the things that's so funny is something I worked on a couple of months ago. In it references a hilarious cliche of a straight actors playing gay movie and describes almost perfectly the power of the dog. Huh. And so I really wanted, you guys are people who think about film, who think about culture, who think about gender. And I was like, I would love to hear. Also, I wanted to force Rebecca. There was no other way I was going to force Rebecca to see power of the dog.
0: No. Okay. And I'm going to hold that against you.
1: Ever, <laughs> But I, we'll get I thought it, to it that. was so bad. But we're going to talk about And I about have so that. many, we're going to talk about that. But before that, I feel like, For this segment, I want to talk about this history of straight actors playing gay characters for prestige Oscar bait films, which I think is underneath all of this. And I love that you brought up all of the other big themes that lead to these kind of roles, like what makes an Oscar role? And then why is playing gayness such a huge part of that? So
0: I'm looking at this wonderful list. Guy made a whole chart. of all the Best Actor nominees, and then another one for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress for playing queer, basically. Am I allowed to say that?
2: Yeah. And one of the things that was interesting is that the first things that come up, I actually included a couple of coded things because I didn't know if they mattered. I mean, like, in the 60s, those Tennessee Williams movies that sort of, like, skirt around it as sort of, like, a big scandalous issue. But it was really funny that the first things that come up in the 70s are these really interesting sort of like out-of-the-box like movies and performances like Rachel Rachel or Sunday Bloody Sunday and then it it really oh I mean Dog Day Afternoon come on yeah and
0: yeah but you have like you have to be reminded that Dog Day Afternoon has it mentions he he's doing it to get a sex change for his girlfriend
2: yeah I was surprised by how much transphilic Performing transphobic yeah. characters, but like managed to satisfy this requirement um, because, it, like, it's almost so abject that it's the person who's proximate to the transness is the noble and conflicted person, which was really yeah. interesting. But it, like, I really do think it's Tom Hanks in Philadelphia in like 93 that shifts the game. And then mm-hmm. suddenly after that, you start getting. Like, it's a place where people know that they can go to do, like, to get that kind of, of heat off
1: of something. Yes, I think that Tom Hanks and Philadelphia absolutely mainstreamed it mm-hmm. in this way that it hadn't been before. It was in, like, yeah. the the sort of offbeat movie, the weird movie, the rough movie. And then there was something about it being, like, some good... Standard sentimental fare, yeah. That yes. I feel like that. I think was
0: that's the a shift. really, uh, that's a well uh, drawn distinction.
1: Well, because
0: uh, you do have William Hurt winning for Kiss of the Spider Woman,
2: yeah, which is really interesting. That's almost ten years beforehand. Andy wins for it, but the thing is, is like that's still an arty movie, and it's a character mm-hmm. who has an edge. Like this is a character who like has a. Big turn and reveal towards the end in almost a the crying game kind of way. And so mm-hmm. I, I really think that the two energies that like they are leveraging in these queer mating roles is infinite pathos and dramatic transformation. And I think that like William Hurt, <laughs> it's all about dramatic transformation, where Tom yes. Hanks is all about infinite pathos.
1: Well, also because Tom Hanks is about like, this could be you. Were Mm -hmm. you gay? It's about normal life in this way. Like he's a lawyer. And it's not like this alternate world like Joel Grey in Cabaret. Like Joel Grey doesn't have a character other than him as the MC. So it's like the alternate worldness of queerness as opposed to the like pathos of the queer person who just wants to be normal and is tormented by it is in some way just
0: to cap that off i think you can say that these roles that are in some way queer for best actor nominees and in william Hurt's case best actor award winner prior to philadelphia the the gayness or whatever form of queerness is definitely an, an oddity. It is definitely Mm -hmm. there in some way to show differentness. Even in the crying game, it's his, something he learns through. (laughs) It's about him, his transformation emotionally. And after Philadelphia, yeah, it becomes more in the camp of like playing a disability. Like we're now supposed to have sympathy and understand that gay people are regular folks. And so you're, you're, Playing a regular person, but with a thing.
2: Well, and the the thing that's... So, like, after that, you really have, like, th- that's what it is, but with a thing. Except for Steve Carell in Foxcatcher is, like, oh, a yeah. 1960s gay monster. And yeah, 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 broke, yeah, yeah. And Brokeback Mountain is the return of the 1960s gay monster. And I'm... I'm worried about that. The thing, putting together these stacks. Wait,
1: wait, Brokeback, Brokeback Mountain? No, not Brokeback Mountain. Fox, ca- uh, Fox Catcher. Uh, no, no, Fox Catcher. No, no.
2: I meant uh, Power of the Dog. Fo- Power of the Dog. Foxcatcher okay, Catcher yeah, yeah, and, okay. and Power of the Dog. The thing It's that-
1: funny that you would say Brokeback Mountain. Yes. That was but, quite a slip yeah. because <laughs> Brokeback Mountain is the peak of yes. like, they just are cowboys who love each other. They're, like yeah. That's, yeah, I
2: mean, it's like, what better way of saying they're just like you than making them cowboys? Um, 100%. But the thing that truly bowled me over was when I put together these charts, realizing, on the Best Actress chart, it starts later, but almost half of the women who have played queer in a lead role and been nominated for Oscars won. It works. Mm-hmm. It works.
0: There's definitely, I feel like, a, a, a recurrent theme there of if it's not specifically oppression by a man or men, it's just the, the world they are in being not the right fit for them and finding themselves in in diking out
2: i mean the thing is is like 2018 <laughs> was kind of a cool year because you had the favorite and can you forever forgive me and both of these films there is the i mean more in can you ever forgive me there's the specter of sort of like that the world is easier for men but they really mm. are some of these things are authentic queer stories like yes. both of those were and like the favorite is definitely using gayness as a can you believe it isn't just ridiculous Mm -hmm. but also like in the best way I mean it's like it's oh
1: it's such a good it's such a good god so what is it about a role that an actor is gonna read and be like that is what I'm gonna win the Oscar for like just in parallel to this question because I want to answer that and then be like so why queerness like what is queerness as this object that gets cathected on by actors and directors who are like, we are going
2: to win. Okay. I think it is running up to the fire of abjection of a thing that makes you not a person anymore. The Holocaust, where human beings are turned into soap, like um, physical or mental disability, where people lose the capacities that we identify with human beings. It's running up and touching the pole and running back and feeling like you're still a person. And the thing that like gets me most is when in their Oscar speech... They talk about how ridiculous and terrible it was. Will Smith, like, refusing to kiss somebody in um, uh, Six Degrees of Separation. Uh, Jared Leto talking about having to have body hair removal. You know, it's like, look at the abjection. Like, I came so close to giving up all of my glowing celebrityhood.
1: Right, and which is, of course, when you look at especially like the female characters, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I am so gorgeous. Look at me in this gorgeous gown. I played this monster, specifically Charlize Theron. Yeah, right. right. She was monster, monster. Like,
0: oh, I mean, for women, it, nothing is as guaranteed an Oscar nomination as being willing to be ugly, being willing to not be right. pretty. Right, but
1: then, but then, how does that sort of Overlap Because I feel like in the queerness category, monster really stands out. I mean, a little bit the hours, the nose prosthetic, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that thing of I am showing someone experiencing misery and heroically... Pushing through it, like there's also the heroism side of it—not just that I'm like performing abjection, but that I'm like transcending it. I'm going through it to reveal the humanity of those abject people. Well, like, that's-
2: there's something so interesting about the fact. Looking at this chart in 1990, you have Bruce Davidson in longtime companion giving sort of like a human portrayal of a queer person in a relationship with somebody with AIDS for the first time ever and having that be recognized as good acting. And then seven years later, you have Greg Kinnear giving you a cartoonish version of a gay guy and as good as it gets. And and in 2002, Ed Harris and even more cartoonish. And the fact that the Academy is like, same. Those are the same thing. And I think part of it is that (laughs) <laughs> a Bruce Davidson performance gives people a rubric that they are able to use for what a real big performance yeah. is. Um, but uh, like I, it is so weird. So,
0: if, okay, so I think there's a couple of things going on. Part of it is like what you were talking about, Maya. If you play some form of oppression, they the Academy loves that. Mm-hmm. And in giving a nomination, much less an award, to someone who plays an oppression they are demonstrating their their opposition to that oppression mm-hmm. like right. that's right. like the holocaust is an easy one uh, but gay oppression trans oppression uh it's a little different with disabilities because i don't think there's as wide recognition of the idea that people with disabilities are oppressed by something other than their own disability mm-hmm.
1: right
0: um but 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 that also goes to this uh perception of what acting is I think there's this just sort of very surface, very superficial idea of like good acting is being something different from what you really are. Mm-hmm. Good acting is doing an accent, you know, <laughs> playing a, a country you're not from, or if you don't have a disability, playing blind or deaf or or well, only able to use your left
1: foot. That, that's something I wanted to add is that there's also that thing where it's, hollywood's way of congratulating itself for not being <laughs> it's right. like racist right. misogynist machine like stories matter and stories do matter but it's like the story matters when it's told by people who have always been in power it's like yes we're <laughs> in this weird transition where it's like what if the people telling the story were the people who are living this the, like right the story that people who well, the story
0: is about exactly uh, like
2: looking at the list of best supporting actors everyone who played actually gay or trans, except for Robert Preston, Bruce Davidson and Cody Smith McPhee gets beat up. Like in the course of the film, they get beat up and like Cody Smith. I think
1: Cody, he, he almost gets beat up. I mean, he gets tormented. It's not. And
2: it it really shows the role of the gay person is to be this especially the supporting gay person to be a locus of like sadness. And and mm-hmm. you guys were pivoting to the very important thing of it always has to be an, a straight person or sometimes a closeted gay person who is giving these things to us. And in the modern era, it's mostly been like sh- straight people, openly straight people playing this role because it's not acting. If it's gay people playing gay, it just becomes pornography. We all know that, and, <laughs> right. and like, and there's not something magnificent about their performance. The, like, the only gay person who has been nominated for playing gay is Sir Ian McKellen, and like, he was the only out queer person to be nominated for acting until this year when Ariana DeBose and, um, uh, uh, Kristen Stewart got nominated.
0: What about Jay Davidson?
2: Jay Davidson? Okay, I don't count that one because Jay Davidson was out as gay, but is playing trance.
1: But it's playing trance. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's also yeah. interesting that like in pretty much the same moment you have like Jared Leto and Eddie Redmayne, like mm-hmm. Hollywood, skinny Hollywood pretty boys mm-hmm. playing trans characters like that's this little mini theme in that moment
2: why was that so irresistibly delicious to them why was it so delicious well and one of the things that's so important is that these people not have sex or be sexual unless it's a woman in a Mm -hmm. way that you can Mm -hmm. get turned on by but with these gay guys you really have to be protected from their sexuality because they're not important if they're gay guys who have sex and they're not sad because they're too busy being happy um, and also, it would creep you out. Mm. So, like, with – in Milk, Sean Penn, you sort of, like, get some nodding to the idea that Harvey Milk was had a nice sex life. Um, and, and, you know, in, like – not all of these are terrible. Margaret Avery – like, the relationship between Margaret Avery and Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple, the little that you get is, like, the one shaft of light in that movie that's so wonderful. Like, there are things that are really good, but – they're so scared of real sex. Um, and I mean, not- the, n-
0: 1985, I, I mean, so, okay, the color purple. 1985, it didn't surprise me at all that they didn't have sex. Yeah. It's coming from a book, it's coming from a novel where she gets pretty into. Some of the sex stuff, yeah, and the lesbianism is an important element in it. And you're seeing this adaptation by Steven Spielberg. So you're like, yeah, they're gonna kind of um, have them gently kiss, and then the and then the camera camera moves away. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. like of course, (laughs) it's gonna be like that.
1: The I mean, Kimberly Pierce, who directed Boys Don't Cry, very explicitly talks about the fact that all the orgasms got cut by the ratings board.
2: Mm I mean, a real question is: Do these people ever get to have fun? Like, gayness is called gay, and <laughs> like, I would say that the difference between are these performances good is just Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush get to have some fun along the way, though their, their stories are tragic. Steve Carell, Benedict Cumberbatch in the interta- in the Imitation Game, it's all pathos all the time.
1: Right. Well, it's pathos and pathos with foxcatcher, it's like pressure. Yeah, it's like the building pressure. And but it it does make me think of that the story about when they changed the DSM definition of gay and they said it's not a pathology because everybody who was studying gayness, they were studying the people for whom being gay was a problem for them. Finally <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <they> somebody's <said>, <laughs> like, shouldn't you also be talking to people who are just living gay lives and they're okay right and Like mm-hmm. when they did that they're like oh it's not a sickness <laughs> like- right and, and also like
0: gayness was a problem and still is for a lot of people yeah. because it's very difficult it is still quite difficult to be gay in a society that is
1: unaccepting of yeah. right and i think that like like something like Foxcatcher, i feel like that the intense closetedness of this like rich weirdo i feel like it's more a movie about being like a crazy rich guy, but I feel like there is enough room for movies about all kinds of experience and experience of sexuality. How sexuality hits the big world. I don't think that we're arguing that those movies shouldn't exist. I think that I'm what not. we're noting is that the movies that call it out as pathos, as abjectness. Are the ones that draw the Oscar nominations to yes. them?
2: I think there's a really informative nomination here, and that is 2019 Margot Robbie and Bombshell. Because in a movie full of blonde women playing the same role, doing the same thing, it was the one who was a secret gay who gets nominated. <laughs> that it adds this element that's, of that's archness point. to your experience.
0: Yes, archness is a great word for it. But I just I don't think it's at all surprising. That the Academy is attracted to roles that depict uh, gayness or queerness as abject, uh, as suffering. Because mm-hmm. if you give an award or at least a nomination to someone who portrays the suffering of a gay person, then you are then you're good. You're on the good side. You're one of the good yeah. ones. It's it's the whole social problem film thing.
2: Mm-hmm. I was thinking about you guys in *Gentlemen's Agreement* uh, and about how it's the same thing.
0: Yeah, you're absolving yourself of complicity in that, and you're putting yourself in the camp of look at how how much of a not racist I am. Look at how much of a not homophobe we are. We're, we're giving an award to the straight person for showing
1: how hard gay people have it. Okay, guys. So I think then that gets us to this year.
0: Okay, no. Before we say anything, <laughs> we have to decide how you guys are going to make it up to me. That you made me watch <laughs> with The Power of the Dog. No, what I had to you watch that to make it movie to
1: too. You. So, no, 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 no. I suffered through that movie too. I thought that movie sucked so hard. I don't understand how anyone likes it. I have, I have it.
2: conflicted feelings about it. There are things about it that I think are good. But more than that is the fact that I honestly didn't know whether you would enjoy it or not, Rebecca. Well, like I truly, I
0: went into it – I wanted to enjoy it because I know you two yeah. – had at best conflicted feelings about it, and I know you. you, yeah. you know, we were going to do this episode, and I was expecting you all to talk about how you know all your problems with it, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to like this. It's Jane Campion, and I'm going to just mm-hmm. be contrary. And within within like five minutes, I was like, oof. But uh, just off the top, we should say there's going to be spoilers. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> For what I thought was an incredibly predictable movie, but there will be spoilers. Guy, tell us. You're thinking about this year's gay Oscar bait standout. yes, please. As movie. I said
2: before, it is, if a computer wrote a gay Oscar bait movie, <laughs> it would be this movie. I mean, except for the fact, the, the thing I think yeah. is interesting about this movie is that it smokescreens you for a goddamn hour before it talks about what it's talking about, and that it communicates through implication Uh, The Power of the Dog gave us a movie that is both grand and noble because it is about a queer person tortured by their queerness, but it manages to save us from ever having to identify with that queer person by making them a monster and never asking questions about the Force's... not too much asking questions about the forces that make them a monster, and then having them be killed by another gay person who's doing gay right off camera. That's a really important thing in our queer narratives over the course of the last couple of years. Right gayness is done off camera. We don't see it, but it makes babies.
1: But also, (laughs) but also, I feel like the character doing right gayness off camera is also kind of a weirdo monster. Because he's like... Oh, dissecting yeah, know, fraud like this is how I deal with gayness is by like dissecting animals. Like, if there's a thing I,
2: if there's a thing I like about this movie, okay. it's that it makes the hero one of the boys from rope. Like it truly yes. it's like
0: it is, right? No, he's a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's a cold ass fucking sociopath. And and like I, I think what I wrote in my little notes, I was like gay equals suppression quiet longing, haunted, ultimately vulnerable unless Possibly sociopathic. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is... Yeah. Like,
1: he was he was vulnerable, but then he went to school and found a friend with whom he could, like, dissect animals and fuck. Yeah. And, like, now he's like, we're going to be doctors who dissect animals and humans and fuck them. And that's good. And now I can go back to meet this other gay monster and have this, like, these weapons. And, yeah. I like, I think, yeah. I think that
2: the movie is good in that these are natural like natural base energies that are different ways of dealing with this repression it just doesn't ask good questions about them it doesn't go inside i think the moment when the kid looks at the mountains and sees the dog what beautiful shorthand for queer sensibility what beautiful shorthand for we see the world the same way we have like because of our difference we have powers that don't make sense to these other people that stuff to me was really smart and insightful but i got so mad at a movie that was basically saying you want to know what we should do with the people who were broken by the oppression they faced we should kill them they're not (laughs) fun." (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, okay. So here's my irritation. Uh, so the thing, I find myself getting the most irritated when I see things where I see what they keep missing. Uh-huh. Like the stories that yeah. they could have told. Whether it's the tension between the brothers, the class tension, the invention of the American West. In a lot of ways, the Benedict Cumberbatch character is kind of a cult leader. He's mm-hmm. making this utopia. He, in a real world he would be fucking some of his cowboys. This would not be just some, like there would be a whole alternative world that they were creating. There were so many stories that were not happening. It wasn't about any of those things.
0: Re- regarding the invention of the American West, um, it struck me right off the bat that it's set in 1925 because Westerns are supposed to be in the period between the Civil War and World War One. Full stop. Like that's the invention of the American West. That didn't happen after. M- but World McCabe and Warwick. Mrs.
2: Miller, like those westerns that are set in 1920, are are magical and weird.
1: But yeah, also, but McCabe and Mrs. Miller's <laughs> dealing with That's a with deconstruction. It. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's a deconstruction of the western. And I think she's trying to do a deconstruction of the western here. I also felt like she watched The Searchers. <laughs> like, she watched The Searchers and was like okay i feel like making a movie now that i've watched the searchers like that's what this fucking was and maybe looked at some wyeth paintings and she was like i have some ideas Mm -hmm. uh, visually about the american west and like visually it was fucking spectacular yeah but um you have 1925 so you don't have like oh the railroad is being built everything's changing in this story um you have the railroad is about to be obviated. Like, right. we are moving on to the a, car
1: freeways. Yeah,
0: like, a completely modern era, even maybe the postmodern era. And yeah, the highway, they even mention the highway, which I, I actually really appreciated because it's very much uh, putting it in like an intertextual conversation with Westerns where the railroad is coming and it's going to change everything. Well, this is the highway is coming and it's going to change everything. So this is not a Western. Except you have this character, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil, who is nostalgic for this man who taught him how to be a rancher who died in in like 1904. Mm -hmm. So he's nostalgic for this turn of the century, this actual Western period that is now about to be non-existent. And that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Rebecca. But, uh, you, Rebecca, yes? you
2: took no gothic joy in finding out that he had been a classics major at Yale. Like
0: Oh, no. <laughs> like, you you stole my joke though. Because Sorry. that's yeah, that's like no, no. It is like the joke of the fucking movie. Because like, first of all, you see what she's trying to do. It's and she's trying to be so spare. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. And she's trying to be so subtle and and do her Jane Campion thing where everything symbolizes something. And we have to talk about the piano, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that. And I don't just mean the movie The Piano. I mean the piano yes. in this movie yes. as it relates to the piano and The Piano. I even wrote in my notes, the fucking piano. But in the first few minutes, like by the time they're at the whatever in that uh-huh. that that rose yeah. runs and and f- Phil is that the fucking character's yeah. name is is uh, taunting and harassing the boy you're like oh, okay he's gay yes. <laughs> like, Yeah, like he's closeted yeah. gay and he's being a fucking macho asshole to cover it up he can't fucking stop talking about bronco bill or whatever the guy's yeah. name bronco is yeah bronco henry that Bunko, real, Bronco Hank. A
2: real cowboy. A real, real cowboy, cowboy.
0: It's like, mm. I pretty much think I see where this is going. So the sort of slow reveal and the peeling away of layers until you get to like, oh, he's jacking off while smelling the scarf worn by Bronco Henry. It's like, it's not, it's not a revelation. So when they revealed the the whole, he majored, not only majored, he was like summa cum laude. Right. Right. Um, at Yale in classics. First of all, I think in 1925 they didn't have any other majors at Yale. Like yes. everybody <laughs> was majoring in classics. But it's also like
2: But you know that all of his work was only on how Achilles and Patroclus fucked. Like that exactly. was it.
0: <laughs> but Phil does not desire any man in the movie except maybe he starts to uh desire mm-hmm. the boy yes. though it's unclear if that's exactly what's happening his gayness is all in the past it's all about this recollection of this one person right. i'm like it's been 20 years has he not been with anyone for 20 it's years? been 20 he's years but also he's living off he's, of this recollection he, it's been 20
1: years where he's essentially running the cult of cowboys that he can absolutely right. tell what to do they're gonna do whatever he yeah. says if he said suck my dick they'd suck his dick yeah and he'd be like, that's not gay, that's
0: cowboy, and they'd they they go for uh, it.
2: Um but our gay people must be far from sex to be meaningful. Oh, of um, course. The, of the course. two things I like I find very interesting. Stunned that the movie made very clear that Bronco Henry did not come to him until he was an adult. I was very much oh, scared yeah. that this movie was going to like say he was groomed and now he grooms. And it wasn't that which was interesting to me. And the other thing is, rewatching it, I didn't get all the way through it, but rewatching it, I didn't realize it begins with the quoting Sm- uh, Smith McPhee character saying something along the lines of, "If I hadn't protected my mother, what kind of person would I be?" And one no, of the... what
0: kind of man would I be? Yes, he says, what kind of man would I be?
2: And the extent to which this movie is telling a gay story for the benefit of straight audiences cannot be more emphasized than the fact that it requires his humanity to rest on his greater allegiance to his mother. Than to another queer person.
0: Okay. So regarding the question of of what she's trying to do with this movie in terms of making a gay movie. Jane Campion was not trying to make a gay movie in my opinion. She's trying to make a movie about masculinity. Yes. And about toxic masculinity. And the the essential conflict here is Rose versus Phil over the question of Peter's effeminacy the son's Mm -hmm. effeminate nature. Like Phil wants to man him up and, and turn him into a good suppressed gay macho ranch hand, whatever. And she, you know, wants him to make pretty paper flowers and, and be the uh, effeminate girly boy he is. And it's not even about Peter, the son being gay or not really. It's about his way of being in the world being the better way of being in the world, like you were saying, Guy, that he's doing gay correctly. Yes. He's also, he's doing masculinity correctly. And I think it's interesting that she felt the need to incorporate gayness into that conversation about well, masculinity. Well,
2: I mean, the thing is, is she is, she's is working from a gay source material. Yes. Um,
0: okay, fair enough. Uh,
2: like, I Maya, do you know about the Bosley Crowther Uh, essay in um, the New York Times in like 1966 about the new gay playwrights. No. Um, It like it was like has been very much commented upon. It was like 1966. You had Tennessee Williams, Truman Capote, all of these guys. And he's basically like these damaged monsters they are placing on our stage. These women who are caricatures of women. And I think at that point in time, thinking about queerness like was oh yes these men are effeminate but it was also this sort of like what damaged views of women these people who hate women because they hate their mother because freud and right. and and like this is so much a part of that identifying him as a person who is dangerous to
0: women so the piano he brings in the baby grand like halfway through the movie and i'm like oh oh shit a piano and he's they've already been talked they've already established very clearly this a thing that um, George wants Rose to play the piano. He likes that she plays the piano, and then the piano becomes this—not even point of tension, but this locus of, of sight of humiliation, torment. I mean, yeah, yeah, bullying.
2: It is a battle. It is a battleground for feminine skill. And want to know who's best at feminine skill?
0: The
2: banjo player. One of the the things that's cool about um, Kirsten Dunst and the piano is that we don't frequently talk about people who aren't good at expressing themselves. And there was something Mm. so wonderful about it being a forum to sort of represent that this person wanted to express herself, but didn't really have skill to do it. And um, the way that that, you know, drives her to drink as she is, you know. I'm sorry, uh, I don't even know why
1: Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons got nominated for anything. I just didn't think their parts were anything. Oh, I don't like Kirsten
0: Dunst got nominated for being older than she used to. Yeah, that's 100% 100 100%. the case. 100%. Also
2: like, for Fargo all... season two, that nomination is a little bit for Fargo season two.
0: <laughs> I didn't see that, but um, I probably saw at least three whole scenes with her before I was like, "Oh shit, that's Kirsten Dunst." Like, I didn't even realize it was her. It was like the, the sort of uh, like Old West innkeeper mother lady working hard. I'm like, who is that actress? And it, it took me a substantial amount of time to be like, oh, shit, it's Kristen Dunst. Um, and I feel like she has aged into her face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that is Oscar worthy that I, I'm not surprised she got nominated for. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I would agree that she wants to express herself. In the mm-hmm. first place. I don't know that that's established. It's definitely clear that her husband wants her to express herself through the piano. Mm-hmm. And she's reluctant from the start. She's saying well, I'm not that because, good. Because
1: again, back to the, the missing class story. The husband who's been stuck out here on the ranch with his tormenting brother is trying to bring this world of wealth and yes, society and, yeah. Culture, back class out. society. Yeah. but like he's trying to replug back into that. After you know, and and I feel like that's ah, that's a story about America. That's a story about our current moment. Like that could have been so interesting. And her her yeah. weird
2: her weird attempts at like friendship with the women in the kitchen. Like I do think she's somebody, and, and like that is about class. It is about her being in a position where she doesn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. her trying to sort of like communicate her way through it and out of it. And she doesn't know how to communicate like that. Um, But then on top of that is just layered a big dollop of evil gay guy.
0: Yeah. I would say evil gay guys. (laughs) (laughs) Because ultimately I didn't come away feeling like that that Peter was the good guy. In fact, uh, the more that she delves into phil's psychology in his past the more sympathetic he becomes though he's never Absolutely. a sympathetic figure completely you but you are like oh well you know it's hard for him right but it's hard for this it, poor oppressed that's gay the other thing
1: that i don't buy because when i see phil i see somebody who in any other story or like if you were telling the story the way it really was he's somebody who made it work for him
2: which I have so much yeah. respect for. Right. Like the thing. The thing is, right. I don't think most people who are watching this movie are giving him that degree of sympathy. That you man. Don't think so? n- no, like I, that man survived under hostile circumstances, yeah. and that's how and that's how gay has existed forever. That's right. Surviving that's right. in harsh circumstances that's
1: right. and making it work for him to the point where he's like, I'm going to have all of these hot young things. I'm going to tell them what masculinity is. They are all going to. Follow me. And there is always going to be somebody who is sharing my bunk. Like that's what yeah. it right. would be if it was gonna, really gonna what gonna it
0: is. F- frolic. They're going to frolic in the pond,
1: the lake. Nude, they're going to frolic. They're going to fuck. Start... Maybe at some point <laughs> one of them who he fucks is going to go off and get married and have kids. And then he'll find a new one because he always that's does. That's what the real story would have been. Yes. That's, and that's what it should have been. And
2: <laughs> has been a thousand times. Guys, I would like to attempt to draw together two aspects of my identity – um, and you two are a well-composed group of people to check me on this. I am going to say that this movie, in its way, in its like, in the way it deals with, is Peter the name of Cody Smith McPhee's yeah, character, yeah, 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 yeah. is a little bit of a piece with your marvelous Mrs. Maisels, with your um, Brendan Fraser is a football player at uh, boarding school movies that give us Jews. Who aren't Not like played those by Jews. Jews. Not played by yes. Jews. Never yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. but yeah. yeah. played by Jews. But also who aren't like those Jews and are doing the things that are so annoying about Jews that Jews had to do to survive. Right. Like, wouldn't it be yeah. nice? And this is a little bit like, wouldn't it be nice if the gays weren't so broken? Wouldn't it be nice if they could just handle their shit and like do it all off while they're at college and then um, <laughs> you know, uh the, the like infect the troublesome ones with okay. anthrax?
0: Come oh. home for the summer and kill a man. I mean, subtly.
2: Nothing makes me happier than the words, like the words anthrax being said twice We're just such a beautiful moment of like, you guys were watching HUD. You guys like, <laughs> wh- when's this anthrax hammer gonna come down on us?
1: Well, and isn't yes. that interesting? Okay. So then I think I want to bring this just to circle it around because we are dealing with a big don't say gay bill in Florida that we have to talk about is mm-hmm. that, there have always been gay people living gay lives and in a w- and in ways that are like all those romantic friendships and Lincoln's friend sleeping in mm-hmm. his bed with him there has right, always right. been gay erotic desire finding fulfillment and joy in the middle of worlds that treat sex and eroticism differently than our present moment And wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be interesting if there were stories that actually dealt with what things historically were in a real, like, interesting – because I think it would be more interesting. I think it would be so much more interesting than what she did with it. And that's what Mm -hmm. was so disappointing about it, if anything, to say, yeah, what if gayness was the West? What if homoerotic hotness is what the Western is? is and always was and then you go oh my god the western becomes something so different to me Mm -hmm. what if we didn't have these sort of straight versions of what the gay story is like what if it could be something else and i feel like right now the fight for the story is something that we are in the middle of as, Absolutely.
2: As long as you can't be part of the story from the origin, your story is always a perversion of the real story. And yeah. this like this movie is very much represents it as itself as a perversion of the Western. Um and like that is the thing, is that um I did a podcast like a week ago and I made the joke that like gay people have never needed instructional information to figure out how to be gay. All we've ever needed was a field hockey team. um, And like I, the thing is, is like it does make us much weaker and it does make us much more vulnerable to not have context about ourselves. But the basics of being able to figure out being gay is something that has literally happened in every culture for all time.
0: right right and and is not talked about and and apparently now in florida cannot be talked about but but yeah um it just feels very old school to to make a movie it's not just that it's like a straight person making a gay movie in the case of of power of the dog it's just this sort of weirdly old school like the story we want to tell about gayness is about torture mm-hmm about being tortured by it, you know, torturing
1: others because of it, yeah. And
0: like, but but like the Western, okay, like this is not new. You're not deconstructing the Western or give or putting a twist on it or m- making us see it in a new way. It's, Westerns are gay. Like that's just that's how Westerns mm-hmm. are. Like, have we not been watching Westerns this whole time? Like, what 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 do you think you're adding to this conversation really or revealing about the conversation we've already been having it doesn't it didn't feel to me like it was adding anything or really. can i add
1: another story could i add another story Mm -hmm. that could have been so interesting but then totally wasn't Mm because it was just skirted over is the whole like the native americans like the engines like that thing that was just like a second—that's all of a sudden a really big conflict between them—and then it thirty seconds, and it's done. And like you're like, um, hey guys, like this yeah. is a moment of like yeah. we are on the other side of mass genocide, and that's part of what's mm-hmm. making everybody so crazy here. I'm delighted that you mentioned it for six minutes of a three-hour <laughs> movie, but like, oh my god, yeah. that's just another story that yeah, was like—that was like, a
0: very interesting moment, and and also, uh, Kirsten Dunst's character and and the way she behaves in that scene and then Benedict Cumberbatch's reaction to the hides being sold off like he, i was like waiting to find out that that he burns the hides in order to commune with the ghost of Buffalo Bill or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, he was so emotional bonsai about it.
1: Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was so emotional about it. But and it and comes of, out of nowhere. And there's no establishment of it. There's no establishment of how he creates this world. They spend the entire first hour, like, like what if you'd spent the first hour seeing how he creates his world instead of, like, a five-minute shot of him watching his brother drive off to the town? Like, what if? Yeah. What if? What if no, this, like, but world? It, but that... it has
0: to look like a Wyeth painting.
2: Well, and also, gays are objects, not subjects. This was about this movie is about making him the most interesting possible object.
1: I have to agree with that. Whereas if he was a subject and somebody who was like world building, if we saw him in the act of world building, Uh then we see the complexity of the world he's building. But like
2: But then you would be tempted. Like, then you would be tempted to be impressed by his genius and be impressed by the resiliency yeah. of queerness of yeah, right. making a world.
1: And also, in terms... Of, then you would also have to deal with, like, whiteness in the world building and the way that there is a yeah. genius and a horror to it at the same time. And no. that would be too mm-hmm. complicated.
0: None of that is the story she wants to tell here. But uh, um, to be fair, in regard to him being kind of a, a, an object, uh, are any of the characters subjects here like
2: great question who who
0: do we who in this movie do we like connect with identify with
1: who who is a protagonist whose desire drives the story or conflicting objectives drive the story no one no one no one which is part of why the movie is hard to
2: but Enjoy. also why I like, I mean, the thing is, is like it plays false flags with both Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst of making you assume yeah. because it is a straight story that is sneering towards marriage, that this is the thing that we need to be invested in. And these people will be our protagonists. Um, there, Like there is something kind of bold about it being a movie without a protagonist.
0: Yeah. Like
1: I don't object to that in principle at all. Um, but then the protagonist has to be the landscaper. The protagonist has to be something. There has something. to be something. <laughs> there has to be something.
2: What, what fucking wins in this movie... Other than that angular kid murdering someone. And you cannot say that that angular kid is the protagonist because we get no access to him.
0: Definitely not the protagonist. Correct. He's not the protagonist.
1: Like the transformation between a kid who gets bullied and somebody who's like calmly slicing up some birds. Like that's been a big year at college. Would have been so cool. (laughs) Would have been so cool to maybe, like...
0: I'm not 100% sure he wasn't that person already in the beginning. I mean... Just because he's I, getting bullied. I
2: respected... I truly respected the screenwriting of, have like, you get four, like, murders and dissections from, can you go kill the chickens within five minutes? Like, I was like... Yeah, yeah. They wrote a screenplay.
0: And also, yeah, like you said, the mentions of Anthrax. They're just like, we're going to mention this twice before, and then... Then the, the big one.
1: Well, also, can I just mention another scene that I fucking hated that was such a shitty scene is the scene what? where like Phil decides to like him in front uh-huh. of all of the guy. It was like the uh-huh. number of missed opportunities in that scene for Phil to to like command his culture, like all of the missed opportunities the number of missed opportunities for events happening between characters that matter is like that's the whole movie. But we
2: also, it's one of the annoying things, Maya, that when we make gay films that are serious, we cannot fall into any of the trappings of gay movies that are good. Like, you cannot have a rousing moment with cowboys because that, ver- that verges on the musical comedy. And yeah. like, yeah. And, and that would have been like, too much approaching the kind of gay that is fun. And there is this way that to be serious. Because one of the things that, like, about us as a minority group that I think is frequently applied to people of color and to women is that we are frivolous. And these movies have to constantly be uh, reminding you.
1: Frivolous and untrustworthy, particularly with women. (laughs) And that's particularly the thing about, like, gay femininity, because feminine people are are essentially untrustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Mm Uh-huh.
0: Which this movie doesn't do a lot uh, to uh, combat. No. (laughs) No. You're either like so repressed that you're a complete monster asshole who torments everyone around him. Or you are a psychopathic killer. Or dumb and straight.
1: You can be dumb and straight. You're dumb and straight. (laughs) But like good hearted and straight. Can I tell you my one really great Western story? So when I was on my, my road trip a million years ago, documenting like outdoor dramas and pageants, I went to go see the Legend of Rawhide in Lusk, Wyoming, which is the town pageant where they the entire town participates and they reenact uh, this story where really what happened is one of the white settlers like raped a Native American woman, but that's not how they tell the story. Of course, it's like he kills her by mistake, and then the Indians and they draw the wagons up in a circle and whatever. And one of my favorite stories, there are two of them, and they're both about horrors. One of them is that it's the one monument to a whore. And it's like in the middle of fucking Wyoming, like you drive miles out and there's this beautiful piece of pink granite with this like shiny sheared front it's about mother featherlegs who was like the town madam who was called mother featherlegs because her skirts when her skirts blew up her petticoats looked like a chicken in the high wind and she was killed by her man and whatever but then there was also this whore named uh del burke who ran the yellow house which i went to because it's right by the train tracks and it's abandoned now and you just like walk in and it's just these two hallways with rooms off them that are just filled with mattresses and this woman because you know nobody wants to pay taxes in states like that she owned all the town utilities and whenever (laughs) she had new hookers she would like send the new girls out to walk her dogs in the town and that's how people like knew who the new girls were and she would like pay The college tuition of like the town father's kid. And that's how she sort of, and there's a way that that story to me reveals the way that in this tiny town, you're still going to have like a hooker and a whorehouse and the train coming through and everybody knows everybody. And you live with these dynamics because there's nowhere else to go. Everybody plays their role and everybody manages how to deal with that. Like, you know who's beating their wife, and you know who the hooker is, and you know who's kind of the confirmed bachelor, and you know who the alcoholic is. And you all sort of find these weird, sometimes super fucked up ways to, like, live together. Mm -hmm. But that Mm -hmm. kind of intimacy and awareness and, like... No, there's no town or community in this movie.
0: There, that What you're talking about does exist to the extent that Phil is very aware of Rose's alcoholism Mm -hmm. and is always... Sort of looking over her shoulder and and is there um, observing? But weirdly, George doesn't seem to be aware of it. Right. But also, it's sort of implied that George, being something of a class aspirer, he's maybe out and about. He's not so much spending time there at the ranch. But the other ranch hands are not characters at all. Yep. Yeah. Th- Why not, they have no names or identities? They're just there. Um, How did- there is.
2: What? Just the how do they process what they know of Phil is something that like this movie it's needs not to not be asked. able to say. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: It, not a question that is asked. There's like there's the cook and the uh, uh, the younger maid. Those are the only other characters, and and I think that's something that she's doing deliberately. She wants to tell this very like enclosed tale about these very specific characters without interaction with other people it does miss something about like why is it set in the west then like what it's not entirely clear okay I do have to share I just came across this in my notes Um, in comparing this to the piano I wrote the piano was about the male gaze and this is about the male gaze (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very clever for me.
2: I mean, at the end of the day, it is a movie where the two main characters are gay guys who aren't just simps. And I gotta kind of like that. Like, there are people who push back at their world. And I think there are so many people who are ready to watch this movie and just be like, he's so mean to that poor girl. And yes, he is. But he's fucking pushing back. And
1: I respect that. (laughs) I wanted I more too. gayness, though. I wanted more yes, gayness. Yes, I wanted more cowboys who, like, you know, if there's a character like Phil, then whatever wanderer is coming through this no. through this region would be like, you know, that guy, and all the gay guys would uh, no. show up to be a cowboy. Other you, you, gay you, guys, you, then you, Phil could be happy. You wouldn't. No, it you. Can't you wouldn't happen.
2: While we're speculating, you want to know what would be a real good movie? Um, if the sweet, good one Phil had picked out to groom when he was nah but seventeen years old, got a crush on the little effeminate boy.
1: That would have been a great story. That's a fucking movie. Real fucking story. A real story. Yeah, that's a movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. And I keep
0: asking what what this movie would be if it didn't have the gay element of it. If she just made a movie about masculinity, Mm -hmm. where Phil was this straight asshole. <laughs> like
1: uh but is then that his gayness movie? allows him to be an asshole and us to pity him, which brings us back to the Oscar performance.
2: I mean right, is, right. is this movie is the straight version of this movie streetcar?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I thought of, it does evoke streetcar.
2: Well, it it's it evokes every Tennessee Williams movie. No, that's
0: because true. Because it's true. got this like Except
1: floating queerness around. it. Except it's bad.
2: Yeah. yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, yeah.
2: I I'd much rather watch any of the late fifties, early sixties adaptations of a Tennessee oh, Williams movie. Hell
0: yeah. I I was you know before they uh, before the movie definitively reveals that yes phil is gay um i was like maybe he's gonna rape her you know Mm -hmm. maybe here's (laughs) open yeah (laughs) you know like maybe it'll go in that direction and i don't didn't exactly want that but it and maybe that was sort of like a bait and switch maybe she wanted you to fear that and then Mm -hmm. be more surprised when you find out that he is gay but um i just think if you want to make a movie about masculinity that might have been interesting. Or maybe that's already been made because the streetcar
1: exists. Oh, there's so many, you know rape. I mean, if we're gonna talk about like some good if you look at all of these women Oscar characters, how many of them have been raped at some point in their right. role? Well that I goes mean, right in you know, you know, sex workers, yeah, rape. There's all kinds rape, of Holocaust. all it's kinds all... of good rape in there. That's all yeah. you know, that's the women's torture. It's like there's not yep. yeah. Yeah, and they are yeah. totally defined by these traumatic experiences as opposed to what it is for so yeah. many women, which is that they just live their lives and is right. you know, but no, defined by this moment of torment. No, ma'am.
0: if you are a member of an oppressed or discriminated class and you experience any kind of negative experience associated with being a member of that class then in an Oscar movie, that defines you. Mm -hmm. That defines everything you are and defines the entire movie.
2: Allow me to defend the accused. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a movie about sexual violence where you cannot name a man that is in that movie. And it is, like, it took me so many years to finally realize, like, oh, the movie's good because it's... It is chemistry between two queer women (laughs) that we just didn't know at the time. Like it is two queer women learning about each other and going on a journey together.
0: That's true. It's true. That's true. That's fair. But that does. It is still a social problem film. Yep. Yeah. It is still a hundred percent like going to teach you to have sympathy for rape survivors,
2: (laughs) women who wear skirts
0: women who wear skirts right like you thought it was her fault for wearing a skirt but watch this movie and you'll think
1: differently all right guys this was so much
2: fun you guys this was so much oh fun.
1: i Aww. feel so much better i feel like there's certain things that when i watch them i feel like they're like a thorn in my side until i can talk about it here and just 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 yeah, rip it out, it out. I, just pull I, it out
2: i i needed to have this conversation and i also want to say if this movie wins oscars I am still am going to feel like it is good for the people. Like it is, it is yeah. good for my people.
0: <laughs> I have to say after this conversation, I kind of like the movie a little bit more than I did. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I like it, but I definitely hate it. I less. have like... to
1: say that when Jane Campion gave her fucking shitty bullshit Jesus. speech at the DGA this week.
0: Oh, what did she okay, say? Okay, you and... know what she
1: said? Because they're in the room and King Richard won a bunch of awards, of course. And she goes yeah. up there. She wins best director at the DGA. Goes up there, Venus and Serena, right there, and she's like, "Yeah, but Venus and Serena, I had to play against the boys." <gasps>
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, <laughs> like no. the most. Why would she say because that? Because it's the it's like the most white woman ignorant. Yeah. The ignorance is just. Knocks the oh, breath God. out of you as if Venus and Serena, as if the whole movie King Richard, for all of its flaws, right. which we enumerate, is not about the fact that they have been dealing with racism and sexism as part of the structural thing of coming to their greatness for their whole life. And she well, has the that movie nerve, could have done a lot better. She has the really nerve. She has the nerve to say that as she's in accepting an award. It's just
0: yeah. You just don't have to say that. It's yes. just one of those things of like you but you could be thinking that and I'm not I'm not saying that's okay to be thinking it, but hey, we all have thoughts in our heads. You well, just don't have to say it. You blew, don't have to we, say it.
2: We blew her up for cute sass. 48 hours beforehand and i think she was drunk on everyone being excited about the sam elliott thing and yeah. drunk on white feminism and oh my uh, god
1: how did we not mention the sam elliott thing that sam elliott is like because it worth... it's not worth it yeah. at all because he's just an actor who thinks he's a cowboy because he's, he's just, played cowboys yeah, yeah.
0: It's, fine. it's fine it's it's exactly what she wanted <laughs> right yeah like Oh, the the old, tiny Western guy is like, you can't yeah. have fags in Western. <laughs> pardon, pardon my use of the F word. Uh, You're safe here, Rebecca. It's a safe, space. safe space. I know. I forget. See, I'm talking to you guys, and I forget there's a wider audience who could be made very uncomfortable by the use of such words. Apologies, listeners.
1: <sighs> well, listeners... Did we ruin this movie for you? Because I really hope we did. I really, <laughs> really, hope we did. I hope between this and the King Richard episode, just everything about the Oscars is just like dumped into the can for you.
0: Let us know if there's other Oscar nominated films that you'd like us to ruin. Right Maybe here. We'll, here we'll for we'll you. Dive into some more. Here though. for you.
2: Watch, watch Passing if you would like an impossibly slow movie with gayness that is only hinted at. That's good.
0: It, Go is. Watch okay. it is. it is alright it is it's now, really Guy, yeah Guy where can people find you your work um, what I, should they be tuning into lately
2: I am at Guy Branham across all social media and if you are in the greater Los Angeles area I have a show at Dynasty Typewriter on April 29th that's part of the Netflix is a joke festival yeah baby and come to it I'm gonna be there Oh yeah good so you Thank better you.
1: see me
0: <laughs> anything anything else
2: that's it I'm going to see Maya on April
1: 29th. I'm going to wear something really tardy just for you. (laughs)
0: You're
1: you're welcome to join (laughs) because there's still tickets available, right? And you Uh, can come on. And as we're deciding what we're going to wear... You can come onto the Patreon, onto the Discord channel, and we can share our outfits before we meet. But to do that, you have to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. Join us on the Sauce Speakeasy, and we will share our tarted-up outfits before we go see Guy perform.
0: At Dynasty Typewriter on the 29th 29th of April. April. All right. Well, I wish I could be there, but I can't because I'm in New York. Well, that's just um, that's wrong of you. So, as Maya said, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash saucepodcast. You can also email us at saucepodcast at And you can find us on all the socials as at saucepodcast.
1: If you want to find me, I'm at Maya Garance. Anywhere you're looking for Maya Garances.
0: And I am at Star on all the various platforms. Thank you again for joining us, Guy. It was really fun talking to you. Thank you guys. for
2: having me. It was the most fun.
0: Adios, amoebas.